talk about tonight is, um, I guess the title of my message is, We Are the Cult. So why don't we open up to Romans 8. <laughs> Romans 8 has been... Um, I've been stuck in Romans for a little while, actually. Uh, Romans is a pretty powerful book, and when you read it through from the beginning to the end, uh, there's almost not a single thought that doesn't start with therefore or for or since that. So as I went back, I was like, where should I start? And I was like, no, that's a therefore. And I kept going back, and I was like, okay, I'm back in chapter 5 already. I probably can't read four chapters of scripture from the stage. People will get a little bit uh, bored of my voice. <laughs> So I figured I was just going to start in the middle, but I would encourage you to read Romans all the way through. Paul doesn't just put like little sound bites that are independent. They flow one to another. So really get into, I mean, the whole word of God is like that. You know, we shouldn't just take one verse out and go, this stands on its own. Look at the context, see what God is telling you through the whole scripture, the whole passage, the whole chapter, the whole book. There's so much in there. Um, yeah. So. Let's start in verse 24. For, <laughs> for we have, we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be honored. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hallelujah. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. And then this verse, we'll continue reading, but this is kind of a, a pillar verse tonight. And we know that all things work together for the good or for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's where tonight's message title comes from. We are the called. I don't know why when I was reading this verse a couple of months ago, um, I I've never noticed that the there before, and I don't know if it's in the original text or not, but it just caught me off guard one day. I've known this verse most of my life, and for the first time ever, I noticed in my Bible, it says, to those who are the called. I don't know, there's just something about that that makes me feel like it's so powerful. We are the called. Like, it's a specific thing. It's not just we're a homogenous group of called people. We are the called. And I just thought that was really cool. Um, and before I keep reading, I, I want to share what the word called there means. It's the con for those of you who like Strong's Concordance, um, the, it's the Strong's Concordance Greek 2822. And in this spot, it means to be called or invited. Um, so that gives you a little bit more of an idea. And continuing to read on, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are his brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In this verse, 
the word called is the Strong's Greek 2564. And I really, really like this definition. It is to call, invite, or summon. The authority of the speaker dictates the nature of the calling. Friends invite and kings summon. This is also translated to name, the giving of attribution to someone or something. So I'd like to point out that God is our king, but God is also our friend. So this has, so, this has multiple meanings. We are called, we are invited, but we are also summoned. It's not just a casual, you know, have you ever received an invitation to something and you thought, eh, I'm not going to that, but you don't say you're not going to it. You just kind of let it sit, particularly on Facebook. <laughs> this isn't just a casual invitation. We're also being summoned. So we have a specific directive from our king to do something. Amen? Amen? I just thought that was so cool. And I want you to keep that in mind as I, as I go through the scriptures tonight. Because we have been called, we have been invited, and we have been summoned. We have a specific purpose. Each and every one of us does. I want to keep reading here just because the rest of this is just too good. What then shall we say? So we know that, first of all, he makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit helps us and makes uh, groanings which cannot be uttered on our behalf. How awesome is that? And because of this, we know that all things work together for those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that we have been predestined. So all of this leads up to, then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. <laughs> No one, no one can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's me. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There it is again. Christ is making intercession on our behalf. At every moment, he doesn't tire. He doesn't have to take turns. He's, he's praying for all of us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. I'm adding that in, but that's what the answer is. No. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. How awesome is this passage? I mean, it's packed. It's packed with promises. It's packed with things we can be assured of here. Um, but I do want to talk about specifically this element of being called, but the other stuff was just too good to <laughs> not talk about. And I want you to keep in mind that Paul, who wrote this, you know, we're going to look at a couple of examples of the things that he walked out to show you that it's a miracle that he was able to write this and be confident in this because he dealt with some stuff. Um, so I want to now turn to um, speaking on the, the called aspect. I want to go to Matthew 22, 1 to 14, um, but I'm going to read it in the Passion. Got a Passion Bible for Christmas from my brother-in-law who's doing sound tonight. Good job, Timmy. <laughs> 
No one else can call him that. That's just me. <laughs> so it's Matthew 22, 1 to 14, talking about being called. So it's called the parable of the wedding feast. As was his custom, Jesus continued to teach the people by using allegories. He illustrated the realities of heaven's kingdom realm by saying, there once was a king who arranged an extravagant wedding feast for his son. On the day of the festivities were set to begin, he sent his servants to summon, summon all the invited guests, but they chose not to come. So the king sent even more servants to inform the invited guests, saying, come, for the sumptuous feast is now ready. The oxen and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is prepared, so come. Come to the wedding feast for my son and his bride. So everything was prepared for them. They had been called and everything was prepared for them, but they chose not to come. Were they any less called? Could they have been any more called? No. And the fact that they were called doesn't change, but they chose not to respond. But the invited guests were not impressed. One was preoccupied with his business, another went off to his farming enterprise, and the rest seized the king's messengers and shamefully mistreated them and even killed them. This infuriated the king, so he sent his soldiers to execute those murderers and had their city burned to the ground. Then the king said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, yet those who have been invited to attend didn't deserve the honor. Now I want you to go into the streets and alleyways and invite anyone and everyone you find to come and enjoy the wedding feast in honor of my son. So the servants went out into the city streets and invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike, until the banquet hall was crammed with people. Now when the king entered the banquet hall, he looked with glee over all his guests. But when he noticed a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe provided for him, so he said, my friend, how is it that you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment? But the man was speechless. When the king turned to his servants and said, Tie him up and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be great sorrow with weeping and grinding of teeth. For everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond in excellence. And I want to read a footnote here when it talks about in verse um, 14, many are called. Or in this translation, it says, for everyone is invited to enter in. It said here, this can be understood to be a Semitic figure of speech that in universalizes the invitation. So everyone has been invited. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong footnote. It's actually in verse 11, um, where it talks about uh, the king entered the banquet hall. He looked with glee over all of his guests, but he noticed a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe. I thought this was so cool. He said, those invited to come from the streets had no opportunity to buy wedding clothes. This wedding robe is a picture of the garment of righteousness that grace provides for us. The man without the wedding garment had one provided, but he didn't want to change into new clothes. A change is necessary, for our king provides garments of white linen for us to wear, our wedding garments. So in this particular passage, it is, you know, talking about salvation, but the same idea applies here on a calling of God's God's calling on our lives. Everything for us to live up to that calling is provided to us by God's grace. Amen? But it says, 
few respond in excellence is how it says here, or there's other translations that we'd be more familiar with that say, but few are chosen. It's not that if you don't respond, you're any less called. You've just chosen not to respond to what God has provided for you. We have a part to play. You know, we can't just say, okay, God, it's all up to you. We have a part to play in our lives. <laughs> we have a big part to play in our lives. In fact, we have such a strong part to play that we can completely hinder God's movement in our life if we just keep turning away from him. But on the positive side, the enemy can do whatever he can try, whatever he wants. But when we turn to God, his grace is sufficient. We can respond to the calling that God has on our lives. And look, looking back at Romans 8, um, you don't need to turn there. But, you know, when he's talking about what shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? You know, and then when it says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't matter what situations we're facing. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Because let's be honest, there's not a person in this room who hasn't been through something. And some of the people in this room have been through many somethings. But that doesn't change the fact that you are a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. As if being a conqueror wasn't enough, you are more than a conqueror. So it means you're not just conquering the situations, you're rising above them. And you can go forward, you can continue on, because God's love never fails in your life. Amen? I want to read this excerpt from Ever Increasing Faith. Has anybody ever read this book before? It is a powerful book. Uh, it's Smith Wigglesworth. And I, as far as I know, he didn't actually write it. It's just dic or it's dictation. Because um, he wasn't uh, a highly educated man. But that did not stop him from being used by the of God. Let me tell you. Um, so I want to read you uh, just a couple of, of paragraphs here. So I, as in Smith, I was traveling one day in a railway train in Sweden. At one station, there boarded the train an old lady with her daughter. The old lady's expression was so troubled that I inquired what was the matter with her. I heard that she was going to the hospital to have her leg taken off. She began to weep as she told that the doctors had said there was no hope for her except through having her leg amputated. She was 70 years old. I said to my interpreter, tell her that Jesus can heal her. The instant this was said to her, it was as though a veil was taken off of her face. It became so light. We stopped at another station, and the carriage filled tip with people. There was a rush of men to board that train, and the devil said, you're done. But I knew I had the best proposition, for hard things are always opportunities to get to the Lord more glory when he manifests his power. Every trial is a blessing. There have been times when I have been pressed through circumstances and it seemed as if a dozen road engines were going over me. But I have found that the hardest things are just lifting places into the grace of God. We have such a lovely Jesus. He always proves himself to be such a mighty deliverer. He never fails to plan the best things for us. What a, what a great example. And the woman was healed, by the way. <laughs> and the next stop, she started stomping all over and said, oh, I'm healed. I'm not going to the hospital. <laughs> but, you know, this is a, a, a living example of Romans 8.28. 
this situation, Smith was encountered lots of things against himself. He encountered several situations where people were at the end. They were at the very end of their rope. And like a lifeline, the Lord sent Smith and they were healed. They were delivered. They were set free. So in negative situations, and you know, those people became very on fire for God most of the time. So that's God using a horrible situation that he did not cause to turn it out for good, to use it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned around for good. Amen? Oh, he's so good. Don't let your circumstances bowl you over. Turn instead to God's grace. Remember that. Difficult places are just lifting places into God's grace. Oh, that spoke to me so much the first time I read that. I couldn't believe. I was like, wow, that is, that is powerful. You know, God doesn't want us to go through difficult times, but the Bible says we will have tribulations and trials. So turn to his grace. Let God's grace pull you out of the situation. Don't let the situation pull you down. It, and it will try, and you will be tempted to cave in. You will be tempted to let your emotions rule in that instance. You will. But you don't have to yield to it. We have the spirit living on the inside of us. We have the word of God. And we have a body here that can encourage one another, can magnify and lift up each other in our dark times, support one another, laugh with one another. We have each other. We are one body. (laughs) We can't do any of this alone. No matter what anybody says, No man is an island. We can't do this alone. We have God inside of us, and we have people in our lives that God sends specifically to help us, to encourage us, to build us up. Find your people. Find the people that will build you up, that will encourage you. You know, Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Pastor Gary has said that so many times. Go through it. Don't stay there. Don't camp out. Go through the valley of the shadow of death. The same verse says that we will fear no evil for God is with us. That's the same thing that's talking about in Romans 8. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who shall be against us? We have to remind ourselves of these things because in those situations, it's a little bit harder to see out of it. (laughs) We have to set aside how we feel. And even in those times, you know, we still have a calling on our lives. And that's what we're pressing towards is I'm called to do something. I'm called to be there for other people. I'm called in my ministry. And sometimes, yes, we are just trying to get out of whatever we're in in that day, in that moment. But we have a calling. We have to set aside the, the feelings and the flesh. And even when we feel like we're not getting it right, Even when we feel like there's just situation after situation, we can just press on, press on, because God still has a calling on our lives. You know, it's interesting, right before Romans 8, Romans 7, Paul talks about um, (laughs) the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do, and it's the do, 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 but... What I liked, what I like about that is Paul is, he's sharing with you that yes, we will, we have a flesh to contend with. We ha- that exists, but we are not of the flesh. We are of the spirit. And Paul, despite all the things he messed up in, he didn't let that stop him from answering the call of God on his life. It didn't matter that he went through difficult situations if he messed up. I mean, we don't know everything he did after he was converted, but we know what he did before he was converted. He killed Christians for fun. 
He thought he was doing God's will. So, you know, if that man can say, okay, I'm going to press forward. I'm going to forget those things which are behind and press on to the call of God in my life. We can do the same thing. We have the same God. We have the same spirit living inside of us. Uh, Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, so this is also written by Paul. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we do. We forget those things which are behind. We don't have to say that they didn't happen. We don't have to say that they, you know, didn't exist. But we can't live there. We can't live in the past. We can't live in the things that we've done wrong. We can't live in the things that others have done wrong to us. We can't live in the circumstances that have taken us. We press on toward the upward call of God in our lives. So it's always helpful to have an example of someone walking this out. So let's go to Acts 16. And this is about Paul who wrote all the things that we read and we're so encouraged by. So we know it's legit. We're going to start, so 1616, please. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. That sounds fun. <laughs> who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us cried out and said, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. It really doesn't sound that bad, but I think it was Pastor Gary who talked about this. It was a woman more like mocking. It wasn't a woman going, these are saints of the Lord, going like, these are men of the Lord, you know, like taunting spirit, okay? So, because I, I remember when I was younger and I read this pastor, I was like, what's so bad about that? Why would they tell her to shut up? Like, <laughs> didn't get it. But uh, it wasn't like that, so there you go, in case anybody else had the same question that I did. <laughs> and this she did for many days, and that's also the annoying part. Um, but Paul, greatly annoyed, <laughs> see, even Paul, the spiritual man, got annoyed. Uh, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and he came out that very hour. So I'm not sure why they waited for many days, but what I can best guess is that, you know, that's when the Spirit told them to do it. Um, because, you know, Paul said he was led by the Spirit of God. That's the mark of the sons of God. So I'll assume that that's why he did it. So when he commanded the Spirit to come out, the Spirit came out. When her master saw that their hope of profit was gone... Money is a powerful motivator. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And all of that's just lies. They just wanted their money. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, so far, not a great situation. They've been taunted by this woman for days. They 
as they presumably feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to cast out the spirit inside of this woman and are immediately dragged into the city center, ripped their clothes off and beaten, and then they're dragged into prison and their feet are put into stocks. Not an ideal situation. So, of course, we all know this next part, but... At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. People are listening to you when you're in your darkest hour. People are listening to you. That's why we, we have to remember that we have a call of God in our life. Whether it is to evangelize, we all have the calling to evangelize. We all have the calling to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. We all have that. And then whatever else God has called you to, remember, you have a calling, even in your darkest hour. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. It's a pretty specific earthquake. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for you. We are all here. That's kind of another miracle, isn't it? How many prisoners were in there? They were in the lowest stock. So there's probably some pretty shady dudes down there. Uh, like no one left? That's the power of God. Yeah, the, the doors being open, that's pretty cool too. But man, the fact that nobody ran away, that's crazy. <laughs> Anyway, um, so the, the keeper called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Hallelujah. That is so powerful. They, I can guarantee you that in the moment that they were being beaten, dragged, their clothes were being ripped off, it was near impossible, if not impossible, for them to see exactly how that situation would turn out for the good. I'm not saying that they weren't trusting in God, but... In our own natural understanding, how could that have possibly turned out for good? But it did. And even amidst the darkness hours, you know, we talk about the praising of God and how they praised him. But the fact that they still responded to the calling of God in their life, even when they had dealt with something that seemed completely unjustified, it was completely unjustified. They were Romans. They were not supposed to be treated like that. They had done nothing wrong. They were lied about to the magistrates of the city. And yet they went to this jailer. They didn't try to run out because they were still listening to God. What's, what's God going to tell us to do next? He shook the place, but he didn't say we could leave yet. And a jailer and his whole house got saved because of it. A Roman jailer was saved. That's so awesome. And then, and then it goes on to say, I won't read it too much, but you know, the next day the magistrates were like, let him go. And Paul was like, uh-uh. You think you can just tell us to go in peace? We're Romans. And then they were scared. And then they told them, like, go away. Don't preach anymore, you know. And they didn't preach anymore in that city at that time. But they went out and they went with the brethren. They fellowshiped. So they didn't go home and mope or anything like that. How powerful is that? 
God turned it around for them. And you know what? We may not be in actual jails here. We may not have to deal with anything that seems that adverse, but you know, we all deal with prison situations. We're all dealing with something in our lives or we have dealt with something at some point in our lives. And you know what? This works today, people. This still works. You can still, in the midst of a dark situation, praise God. You, you might not even understand what the heck is going on, but you can still praise God. You can still have faith that he is good, that his mercies are new every morning. You can still have faith that he is our deliverer. You can still have faith that our God is a mighty deliverer. What a beautiful Jesus we have. It's not just a story, people. You know, we, we can do this. We can praise God. We just need to practice. Because you know what? When we are hit with those dark situations, it's a lot harder. But God is gracious. He is merciful. And he helps us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. He is our helper. Jesus is making intercession for us right now. Always. And I just want to reiterate that God is not your problem at all, ever. It's literally never God's fault. If you're thinking, I don't understand this, God, why? It's not God. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that because our God is good. And you know what? There's, there are things that we may not understand right now, but our God is still good. And there are a couple of scriptures I want to talk about with that, just a couple. Um, Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. So basically in this situation, the Lord has told Jeremiah to do something that doesn't make sense to Jeremiah. Anybody been there? <laughs> and so this is what Jeremiah says to God in his prayer. And I think this is so cool. He says, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So, this, when we have a question to God, I feel like this is an excellent way to start. <laughs> Instead of going, why, God, why? We go, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. Your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Because that's the way we should be approaching these situations. If we had to do this stuff on our own, my gosh, we'd make a mess of it. Have you ever tried to do something and then after you screwed it up, you're like, okay, God, help <laughs> and then he'll show you something or he'll just bring you such peace about it. I mean, I dealt with worry a lot. You know, we all still deal, I think, at sometimes with thoughts of worry. But when I was younger, I dealt with worry a lot. And I shared this a few times ago when I was preaching. You know, I had one day I was doing the laundry. And sometimes I find that God catches you when you're doing things that maybe you're not thinking about. Because it's like, okay, finally, she shut up. She's not watching TV. She's not whatever. I can get her. <laughs> And he just said to me, like, you know, I was dealing with such a stressful situation at work. And it was basically like, what's the worst that could happen? You get fired? So what? And yeah, it would have been upsetting if I got fired. But I had such peace about it after that. It was literally like, okay, 
yeah, Caleb would still love me. <laughs> he has a job, I'd be fine. <laughs> no, I don't rely on Caleb as my source, but, you know, you know, God brought me a lot of peace in that situation because it was like, you know, we need to just... Take stock and calm down. And what is worrying? The, what, the, Matthew says, what is worrying going to do? Is worrying going to add one cubit to your stature? No. Worrying actually is, it's sickening. <laughs> it actually makes you sick. So how about instead of worrying, we turn to God. And then I wanted to, I want to just jump down to verse 27, which is God's response. And he goes right back to where Jeremiah started. So really all Jeremiah needed to say was the first line. Because God said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Nope. <laughs> and in case you want to confirm that the answer is no, you can write down Matthew 19, 26. It says nothing is impossible for God. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, when we are facing a situation, when we're feeling like, the call of God seems too high, too far, too beyond our own talents. Good. Stop relying on your own talents. God has a way. He has provided the grace for us. We just need to take our step, follow his path, make the changes that he talks about, and move on. Um, I also want to just quickly reference John 10.10, talking about how God is not your problem. In case you were wondering who is... Just want to cover off all the bases, you know? Because people get some pretty wonky ideas when it comes to what is God's will and what God's doing in the earth. And my good father does not kill. He doesn't steal. You know, our God is good. And the reason that that is, you know... <laughs> Romans 2, 4, I believe it is, says that the goodness of God will draw men to repentance. The enemy is trying his gosh darn hardest to convince the world that God is not good. Because if they saw how good he was and they knew how good he was, they would be drawn to repent. So we need to be sure as Christians, as the people that are going into the world that are preaching the gospel, as the person in your workplace who knows the Lord, as the person in your family who knows the Lord, you need to be convinced that God is good. You need to be 100% sure that our God is not the one causing tsunamis and tornadoes. He's not killing babies and children. He is not separating people, uh, you know, through whatever channels. That is not our God. We need to be so sure of that. He is so good. He loves us so much. So talking about who our, is our enemy, John 10.10 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If you're wondering if it's God's will for you, if it brings life and life more abundantly, yes. And if it doesn't, it's not. And then you can stand up against it and you can resist the devil and he will flee. We need to know what is and isn't God's calling on our life. We need to know what is and isn't his will for us because we need to be able to resist the devil. We need to be able to firmly say, no, I won't put up with that. Because when it's the thief, this is the whole passage is talking about a shepherd. You know, a shepherd keeps a sheep and he doesn't let a thief just come and steal. 
We need to put up a fight, the good fight of faith. Sometimes we don't seem like we win. And you know what? We keep fighting because we have the victory. We fight from a place of victory, so it doesn't matter what it seems like. The enemy is trying to stop the call of God on your life. He is. That's his mandate, is to stop us from answering the call of God on our lives. So don't let him win. When he puts something up, he says, no, 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 here's this impossible mountain. No, I'm not, I'm not looking at that mountain be moved and cast into the sea. We need to be assured of what God's will is for our life. And we can learn one step at a time. We don't need to know the whole plan right now. If all you know is what's in this Bible, you're off to a really good start. So resist. When the enemy comes, resist. Don't let him just steal. Put up the fight, the good fight of faith. So for our last passage of scripture, we're going to go to Romans 12. I told you I just can't get out of Romans. (laughs) For now, and that's okay. It's like Pastor Gary says, um, whenever someone says, I've heard that before, they need to hear it again. <laughs> You'll never exhaust the revelation that God can give you through this word. It's a living word. It's, it's, yes, there are physical pages here. There's physical words printed on a physical page, but the spirit quickens the word to us. It makes it live. The entrance of his word brings light. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we, as we choose to follow God, as we choose to not be conformed to the world, as we choose to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh, God's good and acceptable and perfect will of God will be proved in our lives. We will start to understand what that is. And I want to point out too, just in verse 1, it says we're a living sacrifice. So we're not the dead sacrifices of the old covenant. But a sacrifice still means giving something up. You can't have sacrifice without offering. It's a part of the definition of the word here, actually. I checked it. (laughs) So in this instance, you know, we can read this to be we're giving up our own plans and our own will, and we're yielding to his will and calling. And you know what? His is better anyway. (laughs) It is. It's better. Um, You know, you hear about many people who were in a good job and then they felt the calling to go into ministry and probably a lot of people said that they were crazy or whatever and it didn't seem right but you know what God's plan is better and we can continue to uh we can continue to follow his path and you know what we can pray that his will become will become our own um you know God wants us to have the desires of our heart you know he's not trying to stop us from having individual interests and likes but as we pray for his will to become ours his plan will become clearer in our lives and it is better it will be better um it is a sacrifice in terms of you know sacrificing the flesh for now but when you go later on it may be a year later five ten years later you look back and you go wow i i see where this is so much better so verse three for i say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think 
but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's what I spoke about earlier. You know, we, we are one body. We're meant to encourage. We're meant to edify one another. We each have a role. We each have a purpose. Your body, every, I know this analogy probably feels tired, but it, it's true. Every part of the body has a function. Even the parts that you don't see, you're not aware of. You're not even aware of the things that are happening in your physical body at all moments, but you would notice fairly quickly if one of them stopped working. And God sees that. God sees how we're meant to be as a body. God sees how we're knit together, how we're supposed to encourage one another, how we in you know, spur each other on, how we work together. And when someone is unable to or unwilling to follow what their role is in the body, it, it hurts the body as a whole. Um, but again, there is grace. There is grace f- that God has for us when we're struggling or whatever. And we can help lift each other up. We can encourage one another. And we can stir up the own, our own gift inside of us. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, it's all by grace. Let us use them. If prophesy, of prophecy, let us prophesy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Respond in excellence to the calling of God in your life. Going back to that passage in Matthew in the, in the Passion, where it said, no, many are invited but few respond in excellence respond in excellence yes we've responded to the gift of salvation but respond to the calling of God in your life with excellence don't just settle for salvation where we sit and we're saved and we're happy continue to pursue the gifts of God in your life the calling of God in your life do whatever it is you're supposed to do with excellence whatever it is that you do do it with cheerfulness because that's what we're here for you know encourage one another because you know what, you don't know, you don't know when someone's going to need it. I, the past few months, I have had many people from this church, from other churches, following up with me in person, pray, sending me prayers, or just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, texting me, messaging me over Instagram or Facebook. And let me tell you, that is a blessing. That is a blessing to have that. So if you feel the prompting to say something to someone, if you feel led, the Romans 8 says that the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Just, just try. If you mess up, who cares? But I would rather get it wrong five times and get it right once and give someone the word that they need to hear than not listen and just miss giving someone that encouragement that they need every time. So don't be afraid. You know, be encouraged tonight that... You know, we all have the same spirit living inside of us. He is speaking to you. We hear our voice in the voice of a, we hear the shepherd's voice in the voice of a stranger. We do not follow. Make that your declaration. I hear God's voice. And listen, when he, when he's speaking to you, just yield to that. Speak to someone, go up, give them a hug, give them the word, share with them the scripture. You don't know what that could mean for them. And they might not tell you right away. They might tell you 
you know, 10 months down the road, 10 years down the road. You know that one time that you came to me? It really, you know, it really helped me. It really impacted me. Be there. Um, you know, Heather and I were texting last night, actually, and she talked about, you know, what has been going on inside of her is covenant friendship. You know, we, we are, because we're a body together, we are knit together. We are covenanted together, you know? We're, we're not just friends. We're siblings, you know? We're siblings in Christ. So encourage one another um, because... This is, our, this is our group. This is our posse. This is who we are. And we together can respond to the calling of God in our lives. And we can succeed. We can succeed with God and with the people that he has given us. Amen? Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.